You guys can have a seat, City Light. How are you guys this morning? Okay. I like this daylight savings time or whatever it is where you lose an hour of sleep. You guys are whooping and hollering, so. My name is Doug, one of the pastors for our church. Um, excited to be with you guys. Let me just get to my Bible passage here. Luke 22 is where we're going to be. And uh, I am a pastor for our church right now, but Lord willing, in three weeks, my family and a bunch of others, we will have our first Sunday gathering in Council Bluffs. So super excited. Church planting has been a blast. Um, But one of the things that goes with church planting that a lot of people just don't think about are personality assessments. They basically kind of want to know how you're wired and what your emotional makeup is. Make sure you're a good fit and things like that. So I've filled out a ton of like online questionnaires, way more than I ever knew existed. So after one of those, I had to meet with uh, one of our denominational um, officials. Our church is part of a larger family of churches. And so I do this online questionnaire, then I have to go meet with him. And this guy's a friend. He's been a great help in the process of planning church, all that sort of stuff. But the first question that he asked me in this interview is, Doug, tell me about when your character was tested and you failed. And I was like, well, great to see you too, buddy. How are the kids? How's life been? You know, all that sort of stuff. He said, we'll get to when your character was tested and you succeeded later. But right now, I need you to tell me about three times when your character was tested and you failed. Isn't that just one of the worst questions any human being could ever ask you? So I told him about um, my relationship with my girlfriend in high school. Everybody thought we were the godly Christian couple, but behind closed doors, we were making out, and my conscience was just loaded with guilt. And I told him about the first time that I chose to look at pornography. I told him about just a few weeks ago when my family was moving to Council Bluffs, and I ran ahead and rushed on ahead of my wife and didn't love her well. And then, there's, as I shared those, more and more failures kept coming to mind, and pretty soon I was like, that's a lot of failures. But those were the three I shared. Three times when I could have been a man of integrity, but I wasn't. Three times when I could have loved others, but I didn't. There's three times when I could have honored Jesus, but I didn't. Those were my failures. What if I flip that question, as awful as it is, what if I flip that question on you today? When was your character tested and failed? We all face temptation, and let's be honest, right? We fail. This morning, we're looking at a story when one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his most faithful friends, failed. His name is Peter. And Peter was kind of the ringleader of Jesus' crew, Jesus' disciples. Peter was kind of the loud one, the brave one. But in the last days of Jesus' earthly life, when Jesus was at his most vulnerable, Peter's character was tested and he failed. Some of you, you know the, sh- the story. Jesus gets arrested, and then he gets hauled off to trial. So Peter's kind of following at a distance, watching to see how things go. And three different times, Peter gets approached and asked, do you know Jesus? You kind of run with Jesus, right? And three different times, Peter clearly, explicitly, and absolutely denied any connection to Jesus. 
If there was ever a time when Peter should have acknowledged Jesus, it was this time, but instead he denied Jesus. Peter's character was tested and he failed. That's his failure. But what I want us to focus on this morning isn't Peter's failure, but Jesus's response to his failure. Because we all fail, right? We all have our Peter moments, times when our decisions get selfish or we turn away from what God has clearly said to us in his Bible. Times whenever we have the opportunity to honor Jesus, but instead we dishonor Jesus. We all fail. But what I want us to focus on this morning is Jesus's response to our failure. Jesus' response to our failures is crucial because it makes the difference between whether we fail or whether we permanently fail. Our understanding of how Jesus sees us when we are in the middle of failure makes a difference between whether we take up residence in our failure and live there and remain there, or we fail but we fight back against that, get back up in hope, run after Jesus, and keep trusting him. Do you guys get that? So Jesus' response to our failure matters greatly. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke 22. We're going to pick it up in verse 31. This is actually before Peter's big failure. Jesus is predicting it. So let me just set the stage as you find verse 31. Jesus is with his group of guys, his 12 disciples, and he's telling them that he's going to suffer and die. Um, So it's not like a happy, peppy, fun conversation. It's not like some guys sitting on the couch watching the game and like telling stories about the good old days. No, Jesus is very serious. Jesus is somber. He's even depressing. He's like morbid talking about his own death, okay? So it's just, it's just heavy. And then we get Jesus' words in verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Now we know from the rest of this dialogue that Jesus is actually talking to Peter, but he calls him Simon, Simon, Simon. I don't think Jesus had a lapse in memory here. I think he's intentionally reverting back to Simon's birth name, his original name. You see, Peter had been following Jesus for a few years, and earlier in that time, Jesus had asked the same group of men. He said, hey, people out there have all sorts of different theories about who I am, but who do you say I am? And Peter had this brilliant moment. He's like, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He nailed it. He got it right. Before that moment, before Peter's confession of Christ, he was called Simon. But ever since that moment, Jesus had named him and called him Peter. Jesus gave him a brand new name, which is awesome when Jesus gives you a new name. And the name Peter meant rock, the sturdy one, the stable foundation. And so Peter had grown accustomed to Jesus calling him Peter the rock. But now all of a sudden, Jesus is reverting back to Simon. Jesus is going back to like a a less mature, more insecure and unstable version of Simon, the Simon version of Peter. And so it's weird. It's kind of dramatic. Jesus is doing this thing. It would have made Peter feel really insecure. And then Jesus follows up after he says, Simon, Simon, he follows it up with a behold. Simon, Simon, behold. It's like when my mom would say, Douglas Blake, sit up right now and listen to me. You know, it's like when the middle name comes out, you know it's getting serious, right? Some of you, you've had the middle name treatment. 
hopefully whenever you were younger and not now. Some of you, you use the middle name treatment on your kids now. I know, I get it. So whenever we hear the middle name, we know things are getting serious, and so it is with Jesus. He's saying, Simon, Simon, behold. He says his pre-confession name two times followed by behold. He's trying to get Peter's attention. This is serious. This is important. You need to hear this. So hopefully Peter's listening. He's probably trembling a little bit right now. Um, because he knows whatever Jesus is about to say may be some of the most important words that he has heard in his life. So what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, Satan has demanded to have you. It just got really serious, right? Jesus is talking about his own death and stuff. Now he's talking about Satan. He says, Satan has demanded to have you. With those six words, Jesus peeled back the cosmic curtain to let Peter in on what had been happening behind the scenes for quite a while now. Peter had just been doing life. I mean, he's in Jerusalem, hanging out with Jesus, just living out of his five senses and his own human reality. But Jesus knows that so much more is going on. He knows that in the spiritual battle, Satan has demanded to have Peter. And when Jesus peels back this cosmic curtain, there's a lot that we can learn, City Light. There's a lot that we need to hear. So often we live in our own tangible reality, right? We we use our five senses and we make decisions based on the facts that we know. We often forget that there is an ever-present, continual, influential, dynamic spiritual battle raging all around us. And so when Jesus peels this curtain back and we get a peek in, there's a few things we need to notice. Three things in your notes about this unseen but very real battle. Number one... Satan is real. Satan is real. Notice that Jesus didn't say the dark side or negative spiritual energy has demanded to have you, Peter. He said Satan has demanded to have you. He used a name, an actual being, and his name is Satan. Satan isn't a cute costume with a pitchfork and little red horns on top. Satan is a actual evil being who is hell-bent on lying about God and stealing God's people away from him. He first shows up in Genesis chapter 3 in the form of a servant. He'll take whatever form he can just to lie to people about God and try to steal them from God. That's who Satan is. He's real. He's alive even today. Number two, after Satan is real, we also need to know that Satan demands. Satan never plays nice. He always demands. But it begs the question, who is he demanding to? Who is he demanding to? And the obvious answer is, Satan is demanding to Jesus. The picture is of Satan walking up to Jesus and saying, give me Peter. I demand Peter. And it reminds us of a scene some of you may know from the Old Testament about a man named Job. Job was a righteous and an upstanding man, and his story starts out with this scene. Before the throne of God above, Satan enters in and through conversation ends up demanding to have Job. Now, God doesn't give Job to Satan, but he does give some leash to Satan. He says, you can't have him, but you can do this. It's shocking. It's surprising. As scary as that is that God actually gave Satan some leash, there's some encouragement and some comfort that we can find in Satan having to demand to Jesus, Satan having to demand to God. It's this. God is over Satan. 
He reigns over Satan. It's not like God and Satan, two equally powerful spiritual forces, and in the end, we'll find out who finally won. No, Satan is under God, just like you and me and all of the universe and all created beings are under God. It's just Satan doesn't act that way. He's under God. He just doesn't act that way. He demands, he accuses, and he tries to pretend like he himself is God. So Satan's real. Satan demands, and number three, We need to learn that Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Now, some of you may be kitchen ignorant and farm ignorant like me. Like sift. That's an interesting word. Never heard that one before. So I asked my wife and did some Google searching. And sifting happens when all of the the grain is put into a big sifter. Um, And uh, that's kind of like a colander, which I also had to ask my wife, what's a colander? Um, It's... So it's like that she showed it to me, you know, where you drain the water from the spaghetti, all that stuff. And it's like this wire mesh. So all the grain is put in there. And then it's just shaken around. It's thrown around up against the sides. It's pressed down. It's crushed on, all that sort of stuff. And the wheat germs, actual little bits of wheat, fall through. They fall down. And so if you were to be a piece of wheat, you would not enjoy the sifting process. Okay, you would be thrown into this big bucket or small bucket, and then you're literally tossed around, thrown around, crashing, being pressed down, all that stuff. You were made as small and as weak as possible just to see if you survive, just to see if you can get through. That's how Satan plays. Satan wants to put you in his Um, sifter that can take all different shapes and sizes, and he wants to throw your life around. He wants to shake you up. He wants to crash you. He wants to crush you. He wants to break you into tiny fragments just to see if you'll survive. Your misery is Satan's delight. It's evil. And all of that is happening behind the scenes. It was happening back then for Peter when he heard Jesus' words, and it's still happening today for you and me behind the scenes. Satan is real, and he demands to have you, and he wants to sift you like wheat. I know I sound like an old-school preacher from the 1970s bringing the hellfire and brimstone, but it's just true. It's there in the Bible. You may think it's just flirting with your secretary, but Satan's demanding to have you. You may think it's just a Facebook message to say hi to an old flame, but Satan is working to destroy you and your family. You may think it's just one more drink, just one little bit of bitterness, just one little white lie, just giving in to unforgiveness a little bit, just a little digital image on the screen, but Satan is working to destroy your faith and take you away from God. It's never a game. It's never just for fun. Satan has demanded to have you. And he wants to sift you like wheat. It's not a fairy tale, and it's more real than the chair that you sit in right now. Satan will use poverty or riches. He will use loneliness or companionship. He will use comfort or pain. Satan will use your past, your present, or your future. Satan's sifter can take all sorts of different shapes. His shaking can go at all different speeds. But his one and only goal is to destroy you by taking your faith away from Jesus. Satan will use a thousand different strategies and a thousand different sifters if only he can steal you from God and destroy you. Your misery is his delight. So Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, like, right? Listen up. 
And so can I just say, friend, friend, behold, man, woman, listen, young and old, stop playing games. Satan has demanded to have you. And he wants to sift you like wheat. That's verse 31. And it's just there. Now let's please go to verse 32, okay? Let us get to verse 32. I can just imagine Peter has this big lump in his throat and fear in his heart. So we go to verse 32. Praise the Lord. Jesus keeps talking to Peter. And he says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What sweet music to the ears of Peter and to you and to me. Against the daunting sounds of Satan comes the sweet, reassuring voice of Jesus. I have prayed for you. Jesus didn't say, well, Peter doesn't look good. Looks like Satan's going to win. Jesus doesn't say, hey, temptation's coming, Peter. Don't screw this up. He doesn't say, well, I'll kind of be watching over from above and passively seeing if things like work out or not. No, Jesus doesn't put all the attention on Satan. He doesn't put all the attention on Peter. Jesus doesn't remove himself from the situation. Instead, Jesus puts all the attention on himself. Jesus steps into the situation, even before Peter realized the gravity of this whole epic, raging spiritual battle, Jesus had already stepped into it. He says, I have prayed for you. Past tense, Jesus is already battling. Now, I toss around the phrase, I'll be praying for you, way too loosely. On any given Sunday morning, I'll tell five or six people, oh yeah, I'll be praying for you. It's kind of like my way of saying, goodbye, I gotta go now. I toss it, away, toss it around way too loosely, and then I forget, right? Jesus isn't doing that. That's not how Jesus prays. He's not giving the Christian farewell. He's not saying, hey, you know what? I probably should pray for you, and I have some good intentions in my heart of praying for you. Maybe if I set a timer on my phone, and if it goes off and I'm not in a meeting, then I'll take a few seconds and pray for God to bless you before you have your surgery. That's not what Jesus is doing. That's what I might do, but Jesus is saying, I've already prayed for you. Jesus' praying is trustworthy and sure. He has already gone to battle for Peter. He squared up against Satan, and he fought, he dueled, he labored, he battled for the sake of Peter. He's not saying, one day I hope to pray for you, Peter. He's saying, I already have. Jesus' praying is also sacrificial. Think about what Jesus has to give up to be praying for Peter. He gives up his comfort so that Peter can be kept secure. He gives up his convenience so that Peter can be kept near to him. Even in Jesus' own darkest hour, the cross is in view here for Jesus. Even with that in view, Jesus gives up his time, his schedule, his energy, and his affections to pray for Peter. He says to Peter, I have prayed for you. Prayer always comes at a price, especially for Jesus. And at the top of Jesus's prayer list is what? What is the thing that he prays for? He prays for Peter's faith, not his health, not his safety, not his friendships, not his leadership development. At the top of Jesus's prayer list is Peter's faith. Jesus went to battle for Peter so that Peter would trust him battling for him. Jesus prayed for Peter so that Peter would keep trusting him and praying to him. Jesus goes to battle for Peter's faith. And what was true for Peter is also true for you and me. City Light, oh please, take heart. 
find strength. Jesus has prayed for you. Jesus has given up time, energy, affection, uh, his schedule so that he might pray for you. Jesus paid a practical price to pray for you. He's not forgetting you. He's not just leaving you to himself. He's not putting all the weight on you. No, Jesus is entering in, putting the weight and the attention on himself and saying, I have prayed for you. I'm in this with you before you ever get there, and I have prayed for you. And what's at the top of his prayer list for you? Have you ever thought what Jesus prays for you? At the top of Jesus' prayer list for you is your faith in him. Your faith in him that you might trust him, depend on him, rely on him, believe in him. I don't know about you, but it gives me so much hope to know that Jesus is praying for me. That Jesus has done battle for me. If it wasn't for Jesus having prayed for me, my faith would disappear in a moment. I'd go wandering after so many other false gods and fancy ideas and fun things to do. If it wasn't for him, I would be lost and without faith. I'd try to be a really nice guy probably, but I would just be rotting on the inside without any sense of faith, any real purpose in life. What about you? If Jesus hadn't prayed for you, where would you be? Where would you be? Oh, the prayers of Jesus, the fervent, effective prayer of that one righteous man has accomplished and availed so much for you and me. This is in your notes right here. The heaviness of Satan's demands. The heaviness of Satan's demands gets thwarted by the strength of Jesus' prayers. Just that daunting heaviness of Satan's demands on us gets lifted By the strength of Jesus' prayers, Satan can throw as many arrows as he wants to. Jesus will shield us from them all. Satan can lob accusations left and right, but Jesus will silence them all. Satan can demand and deceive in a thousand different ways, but Jesus will woo us and win us and remain King of kings and Lord of lords without losing one, with not one heart swayed from him. Satan can fight with all of his might to steal God's people, but Jesus will pray and keep every last one of us. Oh, city light. Jesus has prayed for you. Jesus will not let you go. Never. He won't. Hebrews 7 says that Jesus is our great high priest who is right now before the throne of God and he's pleading his case on your behalf. He is earnestly praying and keeping you in him for all of eternity. So Satan can open his mouth and roar at God, but he has no fangs to drop on you. Satan's voice may be loud, but Jesus' words are true. Satan will run and rage like he's free, but he's on a leash and he's behind a fence. His words may be loud, but Jesus' words are true. And one day, the very true word of Jesus will be the banishment of Satan forever. Like a dog with all bark and no bite, he will go back to his pathetic home with his tail between his legs. Jesus hastes the day. uh, Jesus' prayers lifts the burdens of Satan's demands. He says, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. Now, that's exciting, that's great, that's good news. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He has one more thing to say to Peter about this failure. And that comes at the end of verse 32. You can look at it with me. He says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Okay. So Jesus is doing two things here with this statement. 
One, he's predicting Peter's future failure. Okay? He says, when you have turned again, meaning Peter has turned away from Jesus, and Jesus is saying, hey, when you turn again, okay? So Jesus is predicting Peter's future failure, but he's also predicting Peter's future ministry. Think about this and marvel at our Jesus. Jesus knows that Peter is going to deny him. He even knows the specifics of how it will go down three times before the rooster crows. Jesus knows that Peter will fail him, but he already has plans for when Peter comes back. He's saying, you're going to falter, you're going to fail, but trust me, I've prayed for you, you're going to come back, and I already have plans for when you get back. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. The Greek word for strengthen right there, the, kind of the original word that Jesus would have used, strengthen means to make firm, to make stable. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, you're still going to be that rock for my church. Yes, you're going to falter and you're going to fail. You're going to revert back to Simon for a little while. But trust me, I've prayed for you. I will bring you back and you're going to be that rock. You're going to be that solid one, the sturdy one upon which I build the foundation of my church. You are my rock, Peter. I called you that back then and I will call you that again. He's saying to Peter, your failure is real but it is also the gateway to your future ministry. Did you catch that? Your failure is real, but it's also the gateway to your future ministry. I think of my friend Bill. Bill, for many years, was addicted to meth, and it was a real failure. I mean, it was destructive decisions, and it hurt people around him. It dishonored Jesus. But Jesus prayed for him, and Jesus delivered him, and now what once was Bill's failure has turned into a fruitful ministry. He has seen many other men delivered by Jesus from addictions. What was his failure turned into fruitful ministry with Jesus. I think of myself. I started this sermon with a list of failures for you, and that's just the first three out of hundreds, right? Pretty soon my life can begin to feel like a just series of failures, But Jesus prayed for me. He delivered me out of those. And even when I'm in the middle of them, he's with me, praying for me. And so now I'm able, because of that grace and out of gratitude, to say, this is who Jesus is. I want to give him away to others because of his kindness to me in the midst of my failures. Our failures are real. We have and we will fail. Jesus knows it. Satan knows it. And we know it. The question isn't whether or not we will fail. The question is, how does Jesus respond to our failures? In this story, Simon Peter tells us that in the midst of our failures, Jesus doesn't respond with disgust and disappointment. He doesn't just throw guilt and shame upon us. He doesn't leave us trapped in our failures. He doesn't just hover over us and hope that everything works out in the end. Oh no, Jesus steps in even in the middle of our failures. He prays for us and he protects us through his praying. At the end of this chapter, you could go forward and read it later on this week. Peter ends up denying Jesus. He denies him three times, just like Jesus predicted. Jesus was absolutely correct. And then the rooster crows. Peter remembers. And the story says that he looks across the crowd, and he and Jesus meet eyes. Peter looks over and sees the face of Jesus. Jesus looks over and he sees Peter. My question is this. What do you think Peter saw in the face of Jesus? 
What do you think he saw in Jesus' eyes? Your question reveals, or your answer reveals so much. I think Peter saw the face of mercy. I think Peter saw the face of grace. I think he looked across. He had just denied this man three times. He looks across to see Jesus, and he remembers this conversation. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you. And Peter's going, that's happening right now. That's what's going on. I'm in the middle of it. And then he goes, oh, yeah, but Jesus has prayed for me that my faith won't fail. And so he's girding up. He's getting strong. He's saying, no, no, Jesus is praying for me. I can't get through this myself, but he has already battled for me. And then he remembers Jesus saying, oh, and when you turn again. And so Peter's like, yes, I'll come back to you. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so Peter, even in the midst of his failure, is receiving protection from Jesus. He's receiving prayers from Jesus and is receiving purpose from Jesus to go and serve his brothers. And City Light, may we, even in the midst of our failures, See the face of Jesus. He's not casting shame and guilt on us. He's praying for us, and he's protecting us, even in that moment. So would you pray with me? And let's ask Jesus to help us see this, to help us know this. Oh, Father, would you come now, through your Holy Spirit and through your word, and when you be Would you be speaking to hearts even now? Open hearts up, open eyes up. There's some who came in this morning just for another church service and you have more plans for them. There's some who came in this morning and they feel like they're stuck in the failure right now. They did something this last week that they're so ashamed of. They did something years ago that they've never told anybody and the guilt's just weighing on them. They taste failure even now and you have a word for them this morning. Not just from some preacher guy on stage, but from your Holy Spirit. So, Spirit of God, would you be speaking? If some of you who are on the prayer team, um, we have a prayer team that regularly serves. If you're on the prayer team, would you just quietly dismiss yourself and go to the back, put on your lanyard so that you could pray with some folks? And I just want to pray into a few things. Don't get in a rush here, City Light. We've got plenty of time. No need to leave. No need to get on out. Just pray for a little while. And there's some of you who I feel like um, need to realize the gravity of the games you're playing with God. That you're playing into Satan's hands. And Satan is real. He's demanding to have you. And he wants to destroy you. And you just need to realize the gravity of that. It's not fun and it's not easy, but it's real. And so Holy Spirit, would you um, bring that upon the people who need to hear that? And then some of you, you also need to hear the reassuring voice of Jesus this morning. He's not watching from a distance hoping you don't screw it up. He's before the throne of God the Father right now praying on your behalf. He's praying for you constantly. (laughs) Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but he rose again so that he could pray for us for all of eternity. May you hear the voice of Jesus praying for you. Jesus, let them hear your mercy. Let them hear your grace. Let them hear your kindness, even in the midst of their failures. And I really feel there's a lot, there's a lot of us who we feel paralyzed by our failures. And for some of us, it's failures from years, decades ago that are still paralyzing us. For some of us, it was just a few hours ago. And you need to hear the words of Jesus. When you've turned again, go strengthen your brothers. There's some of us 
who need to realize that our failures are gateways to future ministry. We are not paralyzed, and we need to just go get to work. Stop dwelling on the failure. Go get to work. The Holy Spirit will take care of you. He's got you covered. Jesus is praying for you. Go get to work. So, Father, through your Spirit, would you be communicating this to hearts? There's a thousand different needs here, and I love that you are praying right now, Jesus, to meet all of those needs. Help us to sing loud. Help us to go be prayed for, pray with. Would you come and be glorious in this room, be glorious in our hearts? We look to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.